Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Good thing. Our identity is in Christ and we get every spiritual blessing. And today, as Hannah said, we are jumping into Ephesians chapter 2, our second week. And the wonderful truth, the identity that we take hold of is I am saved. So if you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be starting at verse 1 and reading verses 1 to 10 together. If you have uh, your Bibles, open them up. The words will be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible. Let's read together. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, everybody say, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming days he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us, everyone say, in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What a beautiful picture, the heart of the gospel Paul is saying to us, he's saying to the church in Ephesus, he's saying to us that, that we are saved. I am saved, forgiven and free. It is a gift, Paul says, that cannot be earned, but only received. I am saved. I am saved. But the false identity that we so often hold on to is not that I am saved, but I am slaved. I am a slave. I'm a slave and I'm trapped in my shame no matter how hard I try to escape. I don't know if you've ever felt that sense of helplessness. You felt, felt that, that sense where you have no options. There's nowhere to turn. You are at the end of your rope. You are Trapped. Anyone ever had that feeling? Ever felt that? I had that feeling just a, just a few weeks ago. Uh, we decided to take the second week of the school holidays to go out to Stanthorpe, take the family, and uh, we uh, had a house out there that we were going to go and visit and stay in for five days. And uh, so we're very excited about this. And on the Monday morning, uh, we got the family, we wanted to leave early. 
and we've got four young kids, and trying to do anything early is a, is a challenge. I mean, just getting kids to school early. But when you've got to pack them all up for five days and jam them all in the four-wheel drive and, and plus everything else, you know, it's hectic. And I, my brain was not really in gear, but we managed to get everybody together and jam everybody in the car, and off we went on our exciting holiday to the cold of Stanthorpe. And uh, we got to Warwick, which is about two hours away, and uh, we stopped in Warwick to fill up with supplies, uh, went to Coles, got all our lunch, and, and got all the food that we thought we needed for the next few days, and we got back in the car. The kids were very excited, another 45 minutes to go, and then Megan turned to me and said, Andrew, did you remember the keys? I'd left the keys back in Brisbane. I sat there in the car, trapped. I looked around at the kids. I looked at Megan. And in my mind, I'm thinking of every way that I can sort this out, how I can fix it, how we can kind of, you know, make everything right. But the more that I thought, the more I realised, I can't do anything about this. We're going to have to drive all the way back to Brisbane to get the keys to come all the way back to Stanthorpe. And that's what we did. <laughs> that was a great day. I, I got to say, I got to say that Megan was incredibly gracious and uh, she did some of most of the driving and uh, the kids. Uh, they were not as gracious. <laughs> two and a half, two and, a, two and three quarter hours turned into a six and a half hour epic. But we did it. I couldn't fix it. I was trapped. Couldn't get around it. Had to go back. You know, we all find ourselves maybe not doing something like that. I mean, no one would be as, would be as stupid as that. We all find ourselves spiritually, emotionally, at times trapped, living in the reality of the things that we've done, our regret, our guilt, and our shame with no way out. We can't fix it. We can't sort it out. It's that sense of being enslaved. You know, sin leads to this feeling of, Shame, the shame that we feel, that we, we feel that we can't get out of. You know, the whole idea of sin in our modern world is one that's not very popular. The modern world has an idea of sin, but it's almost, I think, the, the opposite to say what the traditional view of sin would look like. See, sin in our world today, the traditional view is seen as oppressive. It's seen as something that we need to cast off. It's old language. It's, it, it's stuff that makes us feel guilty and bad. But there's a new concept of sin, and I've, I've used this quote before, but I think it's really helpful. Alan Mann writes this uh, in terms of what sin looks like today. He says, if sin exists at all, we encounter it only when we fail to devote ourselves to the project of self-realization. Our pursuit of self-awareness, self-esteem, wholeness, and well-being is paramount. Paramount To be self-centered is a 21st century virtue, for no other can be trusted to bring the good life we crave. 
One who fails at Project Self, a failure defined by the individual's own ideas of success based upon cultural and social influences, must gaze into the mirror and confess, against you alone have I sinned. We unpacked this a little bit last week. We live in a world and a society and a time which is all about the self. And so sin in our age and our time is to do anything that stops us from living out our own self-fulfillment. But actually that goes in direct opposition to how we understand, or at least how I understand, how Scripture presents sin. Sometimes we actually misunderstand sin as well. Sin is far deeper than doing bad things. Sin is a disease that we have, that we live with, that we're born with, that comes down from our first parents. And, and as a result, actually, we turn in on ourselves, as Martin Luther says. It's this self-occupation. It's this turning in on one's self. And Paul addresses this in his letter to Ephesus. He says that, that, that the church there, in fact, we all have at one point or another collapsed into ourselves and bought into the reality of sin. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them in this world, in this culture, in that city, in Ephesus, in Brisbane, in our secular West, however you want to understand that. All of us have also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So we all live, whether you want to use the word sin or not, we all live in this reality of sin. And even if you reject the notion of sin, we can all speak in terms of shame because sin gives birth to shame. And every one of us, doesn't matter who we are, whether you're a Christian, whether you've been going to church your whole life, whether this is the first time you've walked into church, we all experience the feelings, this sense of shame. We all experience a sense of shame. You know, we all consider the things that we've done. We look back at perhaps that relationship breakdown or that bad decision or that, that moment of weakness or that ongoing unhealthy behavior. And as we consider it, that sense, that feeling of shame rises up. As much as we want to eradicate it, as much as we want to remove it, we can't. See, if sin leads to this sense of shame, shame ultimately enslaves us. It begins to inform our identity and we live out our life with this sense of deep pain, this sense of guilt, this sense of brokenness, this sense of shame. It's amazing how shame informs us, shapes us, molds the way in which we see ourselves in the world, how it robs us of confidence, how it speaks a narrative over us that gives us a false identity. See, Shame enslaves us. It makes us a slave. I am, the false identity says, I am a slave and I am trapped. 
no matter how hard I try to escape. And so what do we do? And this is very human. I realise this is for all of us. And right now we're probably, we're probably processing these words and the reality of our own life. How do we respond when we feel shame? What's our natural human response? Well, I think our natural human response is to strive. We long to set ourselves free from our shame, don't we? There's a, there's, there's a work, there's an inner work in our mind and our heart and then in our actions to say, well, I'm, I'm going to try and remove this from me. I don't want this as part of my identity. I want to be free. Our natural response is to strive. We strive to set ourselves free from our shame. And let me just give two, two ways in which we may do this. And this is, this, you know, one, if I, if I were to present it, one way is the... the we, many of us all know the story of the prodigal son that Jesus speaks of in Luke 15 and preached on it recently. But you have the story of two sons. You've got the younger son who says, Father, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to live out my best life. I'm just going to take the money and, and go and, and have fun. That's the younger son. And the older son, the older son says, No, God, Father, I'm going to be devote, devoted to you. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be the dutiful son. I'm going to please you. And in some ways, these reflect the ways in which we respond to this sense of guilt and shame. Two ways that we strive for freedom. We seek freedom are through self-expression and self-righteousness. Self-expression and self-righteousness. Firstly, self-expression. Well, I just need to become my true self. I just need to get, get back to my true self. That's the way in which I liberate myself. I'd say that that is the religion of our age. Kind of unpacked that a little bit before. Uh, Christian Smith, who's a U US researcher, wrote a book off the back of his research called Soul Searching. And uh, maybe you've heard this term before, but he came up with this term, moralistic therapeutic deism. And, and after researching people, young people in the US, he described that this is the religion of the age. And I think, whilst not entirely perfect, I actually think it summarises very much the secular world view. Those who perhaps ticked none, no religion in the recent census. And part of what moral therapeutic days, so moral therapeutic days, so there's a morality out there, there is some kind of God out there, we don't know who he or she is, but there is, there is a God out there but ultimately, that God is to be, uh, serves my happiness and my fulfillment. And in that, there is a morality. The mor morality is shaped by happiness. Morality is shaped by being good. And, and Christian Smith articulates it this way. At just a couple of points, he says, God wants people to be good, whoever that God is. He wants, he wants people to be good, to be nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and other religions. And the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Or to put it in other language, you do you. You do you. You go and live your best life. Live your best life. 
Live to please yourself. If you just get back to your true nature, if you just get back to your true self, there you will find liberation. There you will find freedom. There will you will find happiness. It's a message that leaks its way, that feeds its way into our hearts and our minds and we begin to believe it. But I've got some bad news. Self-expression does not lead to freedom. Self-expression leads to comparison. Because no matter how much you want to get to liberating yourself and being your free self, you will always, you will always find yourself comparing your best life against somebody else's best life. And who gets to determine what is best anyway? We're still looking for a moral framework. We're still looking for a way to, to live our life and we're still looking for a measure to know actually what's acceptable and what's not. See, we still live with comparison and comparison ultimately leads to judgment. It leads to judgment. So when we find ourselves comparing our lives against somebody else, we ultimately judge our lives against the other person. And here is what judgment does. Judgment firstly isolates others to yourself. You isolate, whenever you look at someone and you begin, even if they're your friends, when you're comparing yourself, you judge them. And by judging them, you are isolating yourself. Firstly, when you judge others, you isolate. And secondly, when you judge others, you ultimately end up judging yourself. And that leads you to feeling this sense of insecurity. Come on. How does this work out? Well, we just need to look at social media. I mean, we do, we're continually seeking to present our lives. And I'm not saying all of you are doing that, but if I look at the narrative today, we're desperately trying to present ourselves in a way that is acceptable. You know, I look at images and things that go out and it's, it's almost like, please accept me. My life is okay. How many likes did I get? How many views did I get? But in it all, there's this sense of insecurity. And we look out, and I mentioned this and I pointed to it last week, but, but we're living out this life and anxiety continues to grow. Insecurity continues to grow. See, self-expression leads to comparison Comparison leads to judgment, and judgment leads to insecurity. If it's not self-expression, it's self-righteousness. The older son. Good old religion. Self-righteousness. If I do right, then I will be okay. If I do right before God, then I will be okay. If I just tick all the right boxes, then I will be okay. And maybe this is the narrative in our heart, or perhaps it's a bit of both. We do something wrong, we feel shame. And so what we respond with is, you know what I need to do? I just need to do better. Oh, I've sinned, I feel this shame. Well, everything's gonna be different tomorrow. Oh, everything's gonna change, that, that, that behavior, it's gonna, tomorrow's gonna be a different day. I'm gonna work a little bit harder. I'm gonna strive a little bit more. I'm gonna put some plans in place and ultimately I will be okay. 
It's a vision of God that says, I must please him lest he smite me. It's the oldest son. If, as long as I tick the boxes, then he must love me. He must accept me. And Jesus presents this vision in a parable that he speaks in Luke chapter 18. It's the, it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let me read it. The words will be on the screen. It's Luke 18 verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. All right, so let me hit pause here for a moment. The same narrative that happens with self-expression is happening with self-righteousness. You see it? Self-righteousness leads to comparison. Comparison leads to judgment. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get and I don't even put it on Facebook. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, religion is just another game of comparison and judgment. And when that religious man went home, he still knew what happened behind closed doors. See, that's the thing with religion, is even though we strive and even if we present to others as we do on Sundays, right, just put on my Sunday best and rock up, how you doing? Yeah, everything's fine, everything's okay. We still have to live with our life. We still have to live with our life when nobody's watching. Come on, let's be honest. We're all broken. We all feel shame. None of us are perfect, not even the Pharisee in this story. None of us. And as I said, what we do in this religious state is we just try and do better. Therapists call it the white knuckle ride. It's kind of like, all right, that's it. I'm going to change my life now. Everything tomorrow, next week, it's going to be different. I'm going to walk out of church today, and I felt the conviction of the Spirit. So tomorrow, I'm going to, I'm going to, and everything's going to be different. It's all going to change. It's religion. It's trying to earn God's favor. It's trying to earn your way back. It's trying to say, God, I can fix it. I can sort it out. But you can't. And here's the thing about being enslaved. The more you try to fix things, the worse things get. You know, a fish on a hook, the more it tries to get off, the deeper the hook goes. The more a, a trapped animal tries to get out of a noose, the tighter the noose gets. I know this, this, this is a simple thought, but it's, we need to grab hold of it. The thing that got us into the problem will not be the thing that gets us out of the problem. The striving, the self-expression, whatever it is, it doesn't set us free. And Paul says, in all of this, the striving, the comparison, the judgment, the shame, it all leads to death. 
As for you, he says, he kicks it right off. It's kind of like, wham, bam, I'm just going to hit you right in the nose. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But that's not the end. After verse three, there is a great big but. We love these big buts in the Bible. Well, I do anyway. Because you know that there's something good coming. Verse four, but... Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Yes, we are dead, but the great big but that changes everything. But you have, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, Here's the thing, God who is rich in mercy is the God who stepped down from heaven to earth. Jesus stepped and walked walked on this earth. Jesus became enslaved for us. He was arrested by the Roman soldiers. He was brought before the Sanhedrin and before Pontius Pilate. He was bound and he was ultimately sentenced to death. Jesus was enslaved for us. Jesus died for us whilst we were dead in our transgressions. While we were enslaved to our sin, God stepped down from heaven to earth, became enslaved for us, and then ultimately died for us so that we might be set free in our place for our sin. Maybe you've heard the uh, the story. It's a well-known story of Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish priest who was taken to Auschwitz during the Second World War. And the story goes is that uh, whilst he was in Auschwitz, there was an attempted escape. It was a failed attempt. But as a result, the prison's guards decided that 10 men would die to teach Everybody in the camp that they shouldn't try to escape. So they just randomly selected 10 men, pulled them out. One man was just weeping and crying, saying, I've got a family, I can't, I can't, I can't. And as this commotion was going on, this Polish priest, Maximilian Kolbe, stepped out and said, I'll take his place. Let him go. The prison guards thought it was a joke. They laughed, but they thought, okay, no worries. And so Maximilian Kolbe took the place of this man. They put them in a confined cell with no sunlight, no rooms, and they left them to starve to death. The man who was replaced was a a man by the name of Francis Gajalnizek, another Polish. Francis lived to the age of 95, and he made it his life's mission to tell people what Maximilian Kolbe had done for him. This Polish priest had stepped in, had become enslaved, imprisoned, and died for him. That's what Jesus has done for you and for me. We're trapped. We can't get out. We can't save ourselves. You, you can't save yourself from your shame. 
You can't save yourself from your brokenness. But how often do we think we can? Paul says you can't earn your way to salvation. You can't save yourself. You need someone to step in from the outside and to rescue you. And that's what Jesus has done. We can't earn it. Paul says in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. It's a gift that can only be received by faith. See, faith is the way to freedom. Faith is the way in which we take hold. Faith is the way in which we can receive. And faith is scary because it means relinquishing control. It means saying, I'm actually going to step into a place of insecurity in order that I may receive security. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of vulnerability. But here's the wonderful thing. As we step in that place of humility and vulnerability, it is there that grace comes. The way in which we receive grace is through the way of vulnerability. And psychologists will say that the way to, to find redemption and find healing from shame is through vulnerability. And here we have it in two ways. First, first, we come by faith and say, God, I'm making myself vulnerable. I can't do this. I receive your grace. I've got to say that it wasn't until in my late 20s, a kid who grew up, the eldest of a pastor, who knew the Bible back to front, knew all the things, who could tick all the boxes. It was only until my late 20s that this revelation of grace gripped my heart. Up until that point, I was still the religious kid trying to earn my salvation, still holding on, still thinking I could do it, still feeling safe and secure in my own good works. See, we all do it. It's that place of grace of saying, God, I can't. It's a very vulnerable thing to do. And once we're invited to be vulnerable before God, I tell you what happens. We can be vulnerable with others. See, the way to healing, the way to, 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 to receiving grace is actually through others. I want to say to you, your way to freedom is in and through faith with God coming to him, but it's also with others. We're not called to do this alone. See, remember, religion, comparison, judgment isolates. But vulnerability and grace opens our hearts and our lives to God. And when we walk in faith, we find a new identity. We find a new security. It's a secure identity that, that we receive. In faith, through grace, we receive a new identity that changes everything. It's a secure identity. And so Paul says, in verse six and seven, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying when we take hold of our new identity by faith that we are forgiven, that we are free, it doesn't matter what we've done or what we haven't done, that we are forgiven, that God is, has saved us and he continues to save us. We are walking now in a new kind of liberation. And Paul says that we find ourselves seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. You know, and, and it's for all eternity. 
We get a new vision. We get a new picture. We are seated with Christ. I don't know if there's any better seat in the house than seated with Christ. Better than first class plane to London. It's the best seat in the house, seated with Christ. And when you get that view, when you get that vision, it changes everything. We now walk with a new certainty. We walk with a new security. It's a little bit like when you, and the, the example's not perfect, but you know when you watch a footy match and you already know that your team has won, there's no anxiety, there's no pressure, there's no worry. You can just sit back in your seat and enjoy watching the game, enjoying the play, knowing that the outcome is already sorted may take a little bit of the thrill away, thrill away when it comes to footy. But that's it. There's no anxiety. There's a security. We know the deal. We know how it all ends up. We're seated. Our position is with Christ. I remember last week, if you remember, I don't know if you've got the photo of Megan's passport. I put, I put Megan's passport on. We did the whole journey. I just, I just uh, enjoy putting that up there. Um, <laughs> Megan got that passport a couple of weeks ago. It speaks to her identity now as an Australian. She's an Australian. She was American, well, she still is American. She's also Australian. That gives her a whole bunch of security. She can now move freely throughout Australia. She can travel in and out of Australia freely. She can enjoy all the benefits of what it means to be an Australian. There's a security about who she is because her identity is in being an Australian. She's been adopted in. See, when we know that our, our identity has been adopted into Christ, we don't walk with any fear. We have access to everything that God has for us. We're invited into the kingdom of God. We can be vulnerable. We don't need to walk with shame anymore. We don't need to walk with worry anymore because it has all been dealt with at the cross. That is what grace means, past, present, and future. It changes everything. And here's what it means for us as we move forward. Because we have a new identity, and Paul points this out, he says this in verse 10, and I'm coming to land now, he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, when our identity is in Christ, when we walk this, this, this journey of freedom, because we, we can walk with vulnerability and openness, because we don't need to worry about comparison and judgment anymore, we can walk into rooms and go, I don't care what you think about me, I don't care what you say about me because my identity is no longer wrapped up in what you think about me. You see, with Christ, what it does is no longer do we otherize people, but we walk into rooms, we walk down streets, we walk into office blocks, we walk into our universities, we go, I am secure and I am here for you. That's the posture of God for us and that's what we get to take hold of. We don't walk into rooms anymore worried about our shame and our brokenness. We're not performance managing anymore. We're not comparing anymore. We are walking into a room with full confidence knowing that my identity is in Christ and therefore I can be for the other. I can be for you. I can bring all that I am filled with love for you because I've received grace. 
I've received love. People, this changes everything. Do you want that? Do you want that freedom? Do you want that life? Do you want that confidence? Do you want that hope? Do you want that influence? That's who we are called to be, people. As a church in the city of Brisbane, we are called to go and to be and to love because we are a free people. Love what Tim Keller says in his book, Making Sense of God. As he talks about our identity, opening ourselves up for others, he says this, to forgive and embrace rather than to exclude or subjugate requires a self-image that does not strengthen itself through drawing such contrasts. To forgive those who have wronged us and to treat warmly those who are deeply different from us requires two things. We need a radical humility that in no way can assert superiority over the other. We must not see ourselves as qualitatively better, but at the same time there can be no insecurity for insecurity compels us to find fault and to demonize the other, to show off our own sense of self. So that humility must proceed not from our own, own emptiness and valuelessness, but from a deeply secure and confirmed sense of our own worth. Only then will I not need to think of those as worse than they are or myself as better than I am. Only then can I accept them as they are. People, that's who we are called to be. Let me ask you the question. Is that who you are? Are you free? Do you know, are you living, are you walking in your savedness? Let me talk to those of you who are Christians just for a moment. You know, so often we, we've had that moment, we've had that, 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 mo- that, that moment, maybe we were, we were a teenager or a kid, maybe later on in life where we say yes to Jesus. I thank you, God, that you saved me. Thank you that you died for me and you rose again. And I, I thank you that, that I can hand over my sin. That, that happens. But then we slide back into religion. We go back to earning and striving. And perhaps this morning God is speaking to you and reminding you that you need to throw yourself again upon His grace and His mercy that again, you need to go, God, forgive me. And that again is a vulnerable position. It's a place of humility. It's a place of saying, I can't. It's a place of saying, I need forgiveness. Because that's what freedom looks like. Salvation is not just a one-off thing, it's an ongoing thing. We are justified, to use technical words, but we are also being sanctified. We're being saved, we are saved and we are continually being saved. And we need to walk in that grace. We need to walk in that grace afresh. I wanna speak to some of you maybe here who are still on that journey. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you've never made that step. You've never come to that place of humility and vulnerability and said, I need to be saved. And perhaps today is the day for you that you need to step into that place of saying, I need forgiveness. I need freedom. I need life. In a moment, I'm going to provide an opportunity for all of us to respond, uh, those of us who have been coming to church. But just before we get there, 
I'd love to create an invitation for anybody here who wants to be saved. You've never come to that place of receiving the forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing of your shame. So just right where we are, can we just for a moment, just bow our heads and close our eyes. And just in the stillness of the moment, just bring your own, this is everybody in the room right now. Just bring your story, your past, your insecurities, your regrets, your pain to the Jesus who died for you. He didn't die so that you could then try and earn it. He died so that you might be free. Just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and, and if you're really honest, you, you don't, you haven't received the saving work of Jesus, you're not saved and you need to be saved and you know it this morning. Well, there's great hope you can be saved right now through faith, placing your faith in Jesus this morning. If that's you here right now, I'm just gonna invite you just to stick your hand up high in the sky and say, I want to be saved. I need to be saved. That's me, that's me this morning. I, I wanna be set free from my shame and my brokenness and I wanna step into a new freedom. I can't do it, I realise I can't, I need Jesus. So that's you, across this place right now with every head bowed, just stick your hand up high in the sky. I'd love to lead you in a prayer of faith. Is there anyone here this morning? anyone just know that that's them today they need saved just stick your hand up high in the sky that's cool that's okay let's just remain in this quiet place right now I'm going to get the band to come up if they can come up and here's what I'd love us to do just in it, we, I'm gonna get the band to sing over. We, we landed with this song in the first set, No Longer Slaves to Fear, But I Am a Child of God. Here's what I'd love you to do. I'm gonna get the band to sing over us. Just as we remain seated. And I just invite you just to do some work with God. Just bring your life before God and, and maybe there are things that you need to do. Maybe there are steps that you need to take. Maybe there are people that you need to talk to. But ultimately, you need to just go, I am not going to take on this shame. I'm going to walk in true repentance, yes. I'm going to confess my sin, yes. But I'm not going to live trapped by shame. And just as, as, as the team sing over us, you need to take hold afresh of that truth. And maybe there's some things that you need to do, but ultimately it's a step of faith that you need to take hold of afresh. And then when you're ready, I'm just gonna invite you to stand, just to stand and sing as a statement saying, I am free. 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave to shame. I'm no longer a slave to brokenness, but I am a child of God. That is my identity. So just sit. Allow the presence of God to minister to you. And then when you're ready, as a statement of faith afresh, just stand and sing. Team, why don't you uh, just begin to sing over us. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.